right. Now, let's go back to the Masters here, Alan. What is the famous Mark Kalkovecchia quote? I think we've already trotted out. We trot it out every year. It's like you're happy when it starts. You're happy when it ends. Can't wait to get there. Can't wait to leave. Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck, back for another podcast for The Knockdown. It is Sunday night in Augusta, Georgia. I am sitting at a Waffle House off of Washington Road with my esteemed colleague, Michael Bamberger. We've just gorged ourselves on 2,000 calories worth of bad food and a lot of golf knowledge. Just ready to come out the other end. Not to be too graphic. Michael, thanks for doing this. Delighted to do it. And uh, not to you, Alan, for getting the waffle to go back for the uh, second go around. We did ask for crispy waffles. I was so hungry, I ate mine even though it wasn't. But you showed the discipline and made the pro move and actually got them to put it back in the iron. And it came back really crispy the second time. It, it seems like a high maintenance move, but it's really it's like it's it's a monk like delayed gratification. You want the waffle, but it needs to be crispy. Mm hmm. And uh, I didn't send back the hash browns, although I wanted to. They weren't crispy either. No. Who, who likes mushy hash browns? Not I. No. How was no. the hot chocolate? Uh, with whipped cream, it was delightful. I, How do you like this Waffle House compared to the one on uh, River Watch Parkway? Yeah, that's our usual spot. Michael and I have a long tradition of having a Monday morning mm-hmm. Waffle House run after the Masters. But because of the needs of this podcast and my stomach, we, we moved things up. This one's a little more cramped, I think. That, it is. This is like a rectangle. That one's a square. It just has a, it has a better layout. It's better bones, um, perhaps. But to be frank about it, I'm surprised it passes the uh, sanitary yeah. inspection guys. Yeah, we should we should the tell them this when we came in. They told us they only had spoons available. <laughs> Uh, we did eventually get forks. Presumably, they were washed before they were given to us. There's also that close breather behind me earlier. He was a, he was a mouth breather. <laughs> he was trying to pay his check, but he was like almost <laughs> giving you a lap dance. It seemed I was uncomfortable, as my kids used to say. No, it was so bad. I was enjoying it. All right, so let's talk about what just happened. By that, I mean our stories that we wrote for Golf.com, which is way more important than the tournament itself. Um, tell me what you wrote tonight for our readers. Well, I wrote 2,100 words on uh, the Great American Triumvirate. Now, typically, historically, the Great American Triumvirate is Hogan, Sneed, and Nelson. Uh, but for our purposes, if you were talking about 1979's mas- ni- the 1979 Masters, you'd be talking about Fuzzy, Tom Watson, and the great Ed Sneed. Uh, but for this year's Masters, the Great American Triumvirate are three guys in their 20s, uh, Ricky Fowler, Jordan Spieth, and the guy who won, Patrick Reed. <laughs> Thanks for filling that in. I momentarily drew a blank. And so what, what was your take on, on, the, on these characters? Because they're, well, they're, they're, they're kind of similar in age, and they've, they've come up together, but they're obviously different places in their career, and they're very different personalities. They really are. And, you know, we were talking about this earlier uh, if there was a rooting interest, well, there's always a rooting interest. People would have loved to see this Jordan Spieth win a second major. They would have loved to see Ricky Fowler win a first. They would have loved to see Rory McIlroy complete the career grand slam and win a first uh, Masters. They got Patrick Reed. Now, <laughs> the truth is the guy's a hell of a player. He's a dogged fighter, and he deserves much more respect than the public gives him. I think probably the players do, and Spieth certainly this has been said before, uh, made a major nod in his direction when he actually volunteered to be his playing partner. Alan, what would have happened in that Ryder Cup had Spieth not volunteered to, uh, this is going back to what, 14, when yeah. Watson, you were there. Yeah. So what, what was the deal there? 
I think Jordan, who grew up playing team sports, you know, he was a he was a lefty pitcher with a great curveball. He was a he was a shooting guard with three point range. He comes from that team sports environment, and I think he realized that Patrick Reed was a guy no one really wanted to play with because he's a weird dude, and um, he's got that that seething intensity on the golf course, and he's just a little odd, frankly. And mm-hmm. so I think that that Spieth volunteered to play with him as as a good teammate, also recognizing that this this he, they had potential to do something special as a team, the way they could complement each other and feed off each other. So. I, you know, he's Jordan is so calculating. Everything he says and does, he's kind of like Phil. He doesn't open his mouth without a purpose. And I think for Jordan, he, calculating. But I don't think I don't think of him as manipulative. Do you? No, no. But I think of him I as think he's a very, very honest smart. person. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's way more. But there's honest a than plan. Phil. I think maybe it's more in the sense of there's a plan as opposed to. I didn't mean to, it in a pejorative sense. I mean yeah. calculating. Like he's he's smart. He's always playing the angles. He's always thinking. And I think he recognized it that. It would be Reed, good for that. Reed needed a friend, and, yeah, and he volunteered. And, and it would be good for the team. It'd be great for the team, and it'd be great for Jordan. And they played yeah. fantastic, lights out golf. But yeah, it was it was interesting because you know being out there on the first tee and also at the finish, there it, it was just a, a flatness to the fan reaction to Reed. And you know he's a Ryder Cup hero. He's got, he has Augusta roots. He's an American. Uh, I thought that they would get behind him in a different kind of way, but I mean, obviously, Roy's a global superstar. And he's popular everywhere he goes, but I mean, the roar was twice as loud for Rory on the first tee. Right. And then, you know, Patrick talked about it afterwards. I, I just, I was surprised that the crowd never really gave Reed his due, even on eighteen when he was he made a putt to win the Masters. It was kind of subdued. Alan, how do you explain this? You you you've reported uh, Reed's. Uh, interesting family dynamics, complicated. Uh, it's a difficult one to get to the bottom of. How do you explain the fact that people don't really know the backstory, don't even really care about it, and yet it seems somehow to permeate uh, how people respond to him? Why don't you fill us in on what the backstory is and, and what your theory is on, on that question, if you have one? Well, I would direct readers to golf.com, uh, where I have you know 2,000 words on the subject um, without you know cluttering up the entire podcast. But it is complicated. I mean, Reed was a very cocky, abrasive kid coming up. He was when he was 17 years old. He, he you know, he was a blue chip prospect. He won state championships in high school. He won junior tournaments. I mean, he was a dominant amateur junior golfer. And Georgia won this recruiting war. He showed up as this pudgy, baby-faced 17-year-old kid on a into a team that was stacked with talent, and he never fit in and he, you know, he, he had a, a well-chronicled arrest for underage drinking in the excellent Shane Ryan book, Slaying the Tiger. He details a cheating incident in a, in a qualifier for the team that kind of turned the team against him. And, you know, he bombed out of Georgia after a year. He comes back to Augusta State, moves in with his parents. It's kind of his last shot. And again, he, he's just he, – he, I mean, I think probably he was just immature, like a lot of us were at that age. Mm-hmm. But – he was also really cocky and really good, and he just rubbed his teammates the wrong way. They they talked about trying getting together and voting him off the team. I mean, this was his last chance. If he gets, there's nowhere else to go. If you can be booted out of two big time programs, right. um, and and yet Reed, because of his talent, carried you know the Augusta State Jaguars to to two national championships. This is not a big time program, right? And you know he went three and zero in match play each time, and this was basically estranged from his teammates they didn't they didn't spend any time together his teammates didn't even like him in fact he 
they had this weird team chemistry where he bonded the, the rest of the team together in their antipathy towards Patrick Reed. It's bizarre. But, so you take that plus his fine play, they won two national titles, but it's, right. the dynamic was really bad and really strange. So those stories over time have leaked out. Um, and you know, you know, but they didn't really resonate with the public ever. I don't think the average fan. I mean, we we talked yeah. about this other day. We've got colleagues who don't know anything about his uh, backstory. Right, fan. The ordinary fan surely doesn't know anything about it, and well, he still doesn't seem to. I mean, Shane Shane Ryan wrote this this uh, whole chapter in his book about Reed. Ian O'Connor did a big piece for ESPN. I want to say in 2014. I did a Sports Illustrated story in 15, and all, the story's been told in bits and pieces. And right. Whether, how much people actually retain or grasp onto, who knows? It's, it's not live. This is for our entertainment. We're, we're just recording a yeah. private conversation, basically. Yeah. It, yeah. We're, that was a quick negotiation with the Waffle House management since solved. Now, going back to what we were saying, um, and then, of course, there's this, this estrangement from his own family, yeah. which has been told in bits and pieces, and I get into it in great detail in my story, um, where, to make a very long story short, Patrick's parents, when he told him he was getting married at age 22, counseled him, you know, you're too young, what's the rush? Um, I don't think that advice went over very well. They were uninvited from the wedding, and they really haven't spoken since, and it's just gotten much uglier and more complicated since then. And so I don't know how much any one fan knows, but... A lot of fans know a little bit, and right. they've just detected there's this weird energy around Reed, and it, it it plays out in how he conducts himself on the PGA Tour. He's an absolute loner, and yeah, plays because, a lot of practice rounds by himself. Yeah, I mean, half the tours from the University of Georgia, all those guys hate him. Yeah, um, there's there's people who played against him in junior golf who don't like him. Yeah, um, and so they just um, they Reed is just he's kind of become very insular, and his. He, he's like an Irish traveler. They, they move in this pack. His, right. You know, his wife, Justine, was his caddy. Now her brother's the caddy. Right. Justine's sister's their nanny. Uh-huh. The mom travels with them. Right. And they're they're just this little, they're in this bubble of their own making. And yes. That no one can get, no one can penetrate, even fellow players. And so I don't know what fans know about Reed, but I think they, they know he's a little weird. Yeah. It's funny. My, my, I have not had many personal dealings with him. But they all have been beyond fine. He's been very personal, warm, helpful. He's answered my questions. No issues at all. I've seen him in airports, and he's been very nice with the public. And I he can be very charming. And uh, I mean, his mom told me one time that Patrick was better with adults than with kids his own age. Like mm-hmm. he could go to a, a party, and he would charm all the adults. And uh-huh. he, you can sort of it kind of that that it's almost like a, it's like a ham in some ways, and that kind of comes out. I think sometimes in the interviews and. And some of his other interactions, but the people his own age, for whatever reason, he doesn't connect with. It's kind of interesting to think about it the way we're just the way this conversation's gone. But here's someone who's only 27 years old. It might very well prove to be the only major ever wins because a lot of guys only win one major. It's hard to win majors. It's hard to win period. Um, But at 27, you got 37, 47, 57, 67, 77, 87. In other words, this guy will be coming back to the Masters for the rest of his life, and. The Masters is about camaraderie. You know, the thing that's made the Masters so special is the camaraderie of the winners, the camaraderie of all the green cuts. And it'll just be very, you know, Fred had it, of course. Many, many have had it. Most have had it. If you don't, Charles Schwartzel, uh, I don't think of him as really a social person, but of course he's not an American. It'll just be very interesting to see in the years and the decades to come for the rest of his life. How is this guy 
uh, going to develop and, and grow as, as, a, as a human being in a community of golfers. But I know that's probably not what people want to hear right now, but I am interested in no, that. No, it is. I mean, <clears throat> you can imagine, it's like, imagine a gathering of a living U.S. presidents in 15 years. How is Donald Trump going to be received? Right. It's kind of like it read, reads the same way when he walks into the champion's dinner. As W said at the end of that first inauguration, the end of the Trump inauguration, that was some weird shit. <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, we heard a funny story tonight. We were standing there and one of our colleagues, who shall remain nameless, said that, um, you know, a bunch of green jackets were gathered around a TV. Reed rolled in that, that putt on 12 to kind of spurt ahead. And all the green jackets just kind of like their shoulders slums like, oh, man, this guy's actually going to do it. So it's it's um, it's it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, he's the ultimate outsider. He always has been. And suddenly he's, he's the ultimate insider. He's in the most the whole exclusive world wants to be in that club. Look how bad Ricky Fowler wants to be at the club. Rory McIlroy wants to be in that club. Yeah, and it's so it, it's interesting. And you know, it's only it's his sixth win. You know, he's behind Jordan's pace, like most of the world is. But he already has more wins than Fowler, who's a couple years older. He's better than Fowler. He has as many he has as many majors as Dustin Johnson. Yeah. Um, you know this this was a big time performance. I mean. His his third his well all three he rounds. He doesn't hit it that far, you know. He does it. I really don't know how really he does it. I mean, he, he he's his, definitely not His wedge game power. and his putting are spectacular. He drives it straight. His irons can be can be really precise, and he just wills it. He just it wills was it. neat to see him hit those cut holds today. Uh, you know, I was like Arnie, right? You look yeah, like Arnie. Very much. Jim Thorpe had that move. You got to yeah. be a big, strong guy to make that yeah. move, and uh, I didn't even know he had it. Uh, I've never seen him. Have you seen him make that swing and that, that move at other tournaments? Periodically, but have you? I actually never have. Not, not as his go-to swing, but he yeah. leaned on it heavily. But yeah. that was like, I'm very impressed by the shake he started to get off to him one on two, and, and uh, Rory really had him right where he wanted him after two holes. Although Rory would have loved to have made the eagle putt on yeah. uh, on two, but still he was in he, he was in a good spot right there. All right, let's let's go there. We got to talk Rory. I mean, I think this one is going to really linger. His his star-crossed history at Augusta National. This is just more scar tissue, more brain damage. And, of course, on golf.com, which um, is bringing to the listeners this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, I, I wrote about you know Rory and this Augusta This podcast National. is actually sponsored by golf.com, isn't it? <laughs> We're sponsored by golf.com. They're paying mm-hmm. our, our mortgage now. But mm-hmm. the, um, Would this be an appropriate time to make a nod to our new boss, Howard Milstein, who bought us dinner on, uh, on Tuesday night? Let's pour out a little almond milk for Howard Milstein. He's... Um, we love Howard. How about Howard showing up for the writer's dinner the other night? What a glutton for punishment. I mean, I won't wish that upon anyone who's not actually a writer. But We used to have a boss who refused to go. Now we got a publisher who actually <laughs> is going. Right. But anyway, on golf.com, I wrote a whole thing about Rory. And, you know, everyone says, well, of course he's going to win a green jacket. His game's perfect for it. But they said that I about... I hate that word, of course. Right. But they said that about Norman. They said that about Els. They said that about Johnny Miller. Ken Venturi. Ken Vin- Tom Weiskopf. Um, I mean, you can go on down the list. I, Augusta National makes people a little mental, and Rory is clearly there. I mean, he has had so many bad rounds, so many bad moments, and um, uh, this, this is near the top of the list. I mean, he just looked lost. Yeah, it was a bad, he- bad Sunday performance, and of course... He's world class. He's Hall of Fame bound. There's no question about about his talent. But it's a really big but. You've got to do it on Sundays. That's what this game is all about. Getting it done on Sunday. Getting yourself in position and getting it done on Sunday. Now it's really super hard, 
But if he wants to be discussed in the same breath as, well, let's say this. Obviously not Tiger. No one's going to be Tiger. But he's really not even the same breath as Phil. Um, you know, he's had too many opportunities here to get it done on Sunday and has Yeah. And, he's shown uh, he can win with, but with the big 54-hole lead. But this was an opportunity. To, look, win or not win, just to be there, 16, 17, 18, that's the point. He was rendered irrelevant by A-Man Corner. He, yep. he he became a missing person on, on the telecast. It was like, it was sad that he, he couldn't drive the ball at all. I mean, we saw that he's maybe the greatest driver of the golf ball ever. Steps up at the first tee, looking to make a statement. Almost hits it into the merchandise tent. I mean, he's like, I mean, he saved a great he's par. Absolutely but wild. Alan, so let's just uh, go to that for, for just a minute. This has been a new revelation to me, but it shouldn't really be. We, we, we've seen Tiger hit a long series of bad first tee shots, even in his prime. Now, he was never such a great driver of the ball, but he's still Tiger Woods. Um, and only recently have I realized or learned, and the uh, the new Tiger biography um, uh, explains this well. He gets very nervous going from the driver range to the first scene. I just think it's interesting because we all do. You know, you shooting 81 and me shooting 91 and these guys shooting 69, they get nervous going from the driver range to the first tee. Yeah. And, I mean, who would think that that would happen to Rory McIlroy? But it but it obviously did. Something went wrong. Well, and then that little, that little putt he missed on two. And I said this, I, I can't remember where, but... Rory's more like the rest of us than than other players, where the, the first few holes really set the tone for his round, and you know that drive on one spooked him, that putt on two spooked him, and he just he looked defensive. He really had nothing after that. He looked just defeated, and I mean it was it was hard to watch. It was sad. He's missing greens with wedges in his hand, like he couldn't do anything right. And, yeah. Um, you know, and he really shows it. You know, he's got the swagger yeah. walk when things are going well, but he can lose that walk in a, in a heartbeat. So it's interesting because the the amount of time that elapses from when a guy wins his first major to his last is pretty telling. You know, Arnie won them all in, in what, six years, from 58 to 64. And Tiger, 11. Tiger, Rory's already at eight. Hmm. And a lot of great, great players, their window's been eight years or less. And right. so even though he's not even, I mean, he turns, 30, he turns 29 next month, like, can he be? Is he? Is he done? Can he be done? I mean, who knows? It's it, he's got I, I so much say, game. Yeah. You assume he's going to be there, but being there and winning is it's very. It's a very ephemeral thing. The difference, but he's on the wrong side of it. Whatever it is, I wouldn't agree with that because I think um, he'll contend, and if he contends, he'll win. Uh, but whether he'll ever win at Augusta National, whether he's spooked at Augusta National or not, that's a that's another subject. I think Look, winning the PGA is, Championship is not like winning the Masters. No, it's just a different. It's not. And he has the other. You know, he has the others. It's like yeah. this is the one that matters. Yeah. And it's, it's the, the easiest one to win, but it's also the hardest one to win once it gets in in, in your head. And Ken Ventura and the other names we cited, like, Greg Norman. You know. I mean, how many times has Phil had a chance to win the U.S. Open and he hasn't done it? I mean, is, yeah. we could be talking about Rory in 15 years, still trying to get that elusive green jacket. But it's also part of the beauty of the game, you yeah. know, that you don't get everything you want. You know, what did, Ar what did Arnold miss? The PGA Championship. Yeah. Tom Watson, the PGA Championship. Yeah. That doesn't sting as much as missing the Masters. No. no. No, it really doesn't. Going right back to the thing we were saying about Reed. He's in the club for the rest of his life. Who do you think completes the Grand Slam first, career Grand Slam? Rory? Spieth or Phil Mickelson? What's Spieth missing? PGA? Uh, yeah. Spieth. 
because yeah. that PJ is not that hard to win. You know, it's yeah. just like winning a, a tour event in hot weather. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not. I'm not. I don't say that device uh, with derision. It just is. It doesn't have. I don't think have there's the mental aura no. surrounding it. No. There is mental aura surrounding the other three. And I yeah. wish the PGA luck. I don't know what they can do to give it mental aura, but it's had the same problem. They can move to May. Yeah. <laughs> good idea. <laughs> I yeah. had what I thought was a good idea. I won't bore you, the listeners with it except for to say it was to play, have the Pebble Beach tournament in February morph into the PGA Championship. I know. That you never. know how much I love Pebble Beach. I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> why, was, why was that such a bad idea? I, I can't even remember. Was it going to be like a pro am as part of the of a major? No, no, no. There was going to be a two day pro am uh, Sunday, Monday at Cypress Point. <laughs> okay, well, I'll play in that. But and then you'd have and no, and then it, from that from there you could so you could you could save the pro am part of it. Yeah, I mean, Pebble would be so iconic, and February would be it would be wild uh, in the bad as weather. As we speak, I'm reconsidering. It's not okay. a bad idea. All right. Um, so let's talk about some of the other things about Masters Week. So, what do you think about the new guy, Ridley? Fabulous hair. I mean, Whew, I, thought I, I thought I had good hair. You do have good hair. No, but not like Ridley. Now I think we know the big three are Chambly, you, and Ridley. I mean, my hair is like the first cut at the Augusta National. His hair is like U.S. Open rough. Now, if that Robert Rock would start playing decent golf again, <laughs> we could put him on the list I and know. make it, you know, make it uh, a Fab Four. But all these Snyder jams, there's, there's some good hair out there. But I, you know. Ridley has no charisma. We can agree on that. But I think he's going to be a good chairman. And he's a nice antidote to Billy Payne. He was such a back-slapping grandstander. <laughs> the, the fact that the scores were low and that there were a lot of eagles and that it was exciting. Now, they had, they had some rain that softened it. But do you, do you attribute any of that to Ridley or do you attribute it to Luck? Or how, how do you explain that? Well, so Ridley was in charge of the core setup. Now, as a chairman, he's he's handed off the greens committee to some other green jacket, and I, that was the guy who set the course up on Thursday and Friday when no one could when the you know three under was a great score. I think he was trying to make I can't remember the dude's name. He's trying to make his bones like, yeah, it was a high, yeah like I'm the new sheriff in town and big bad Augusta National. You know the greens were brick hard that. And super fast. The I pins were in tough spots. They shaved the bank at 15, which you know obviously hurt Sergio and others. And so that was the that was how he wanted to present the golf course. Then the rain came and softened it up, and then they could tear it apart. Now maybe you could say, okay, this guy is, was reading the weather reports. He By knew. the way, I wouldn't even call it tearing apart. I was just saying, play the course, have fun, yeah. play the course. Oh, it's a scoreable golf course, but when you when the greens are softer, yeah. So did was he a genius because he knew the rain was coming and so he had to bake out the course mm. so then the rain would make it just about right? Mm. Or did he get lucky that the rain saved him and it wasn't a total bloodbath for four days? Yeah. So it's an interesting yeah. it's an interesting thought. Yeah. And you know, when Ridley took over as Green's chairman, that was like during that horrible stretch when the course was too hard when Zach Johnson and Trevor Immelman were winning, you know, in the mid the mid aughts. So right. Right. I think there's something to the new guy comes in and he wants to like he wants to establish himself as a big tough guy. Well, there's no question the pleasure of the Sunday was the fact that the Jordan Speed looked like you could actually shoot 62. And by the way, if that number if that 18 was not such a ridiculous hole in the way they have it back in the shoot, 18 and 11, I'm surprised the players don't talk about that more. I mean, there's nowhere to drive it. There's yeah. nowhere to miss it. And they sort of, you know, 
they kind of just define one shot to play. And yeah. Jordan Smith hit what he thought was a good tee shot at 100 yards, 125 yards. Yeah, uh, that's true. Uh, it's too narrow. It's not what well, the whole we course don't really is too know. narrow. The whole course is too narrow. But at times it's more narrow. I mean, one's not too narrow. There are times where it's yeah. not too narrow, but. It looks more narrow, of course, with the with the what do they call it? The second cut, or yeah. what do they call it? The, uh, the rough, and uh, I call which it the, rough. the rough looked a little more rough this year. It looked a little, I don't it know, juicy. It looked a little longer. It looked a little thicker. Yeah, maybe because um, the, maybe because of the rain, whatever. Ridley's but hair. I feel bad for Jordan Smith. I mean, he was. Thank you. Look, your job's to hit it and play. He didn't hit him play, so he didn't do his job. But I don't think that's what McKenzie or Jones wanted for that hole. I don't oh, think it's no, what they'd be role. outraged. Uh, and but still, you know, all that said, he had what a five six footer. For par, and he missed it. It was, yeah. you know, I'd rather have yeah, you should be a, hitting a tw- driver hybrid wedge to get there. <laughs> no, no, but that was a do or die putt. I'd rather, you can't make them all, and it's really hard to Monday but it morning. was a shocker to see him miss that one. It's more of a shocker to see him miss the one on 13. He's That's such, what I was going to say. Such a momentum player. It, incredible shot in there. Um, preceded by a great discussion between he and Greller, which CBS totally whiffed, but it was on the... Um, I guess the Amen Corner feed. And oh, I, neat! I, I caught it on Twitter, um, and it was fabulous. And if what, he, what was that discussion like? I didn't hear any of that. Just which club to hit, and all the different um, the lie, the wind, the angles. It was just just cool. You, you know, it's such a game of interest. The fact that he had two two feet on grass with that ball really made a difference. Because yeah. if you're all on pine needles, then you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, that's I don't true. know whether they were sp- spikes or uh, soft spikes, uh, but that can make a difference too. But anyway, yeah. he was in the grass. Yeah, and he made beautiful contact. Well, and it's Not actually perfect. It's actually better. It was perfect because you'd rather have the ball in that scenario on the pine needles because then you can get a clean strike and get some spin on it. You get more spin out of the pine needles than you do out of oh no question. It's like getting so, off cement. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, that putt he's gonna be thinking about for a long time. You can't make them all, but if he had made that, the place would have gone bananas. The yeah. entire course tilts in his direction. And it really changes the complexion of the last few holes. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's nice, nice birdie, but it also would have raised. Eagle. It might have raised the dynamic of uh, Justin Thomas as well. In other words, these two close friends, such similar profiles and backgrounds, to, for, to, for them to be playing together and and to witness it. Um, I don't know, be like Davis Love and Fred Couples were years ago, and various others over the years. But it's nice to have a running buddy, and uh, that would have that would have been a contributing. Yeah, just add to the pleasure of the whole thing. Well, since you just used that verb, I'd like the listeners to know that Michael and I are staying in the same house uh, along with Jessica Marksberry, our delightful colleague. And every morning, Jessica and I like you know get up in our pajamas and we're hanging out. And Michael's out running in a couple times in torrential downpours. <laughs> it's really quite impressive. Uh, well, I appreciate that, but I would like to inform the listeners that it's really jogging because if, should any of them ever see me out there, <laughs> I don't want them to say, "Huh, Shipnick said the guy's a runner." Looks like jogging to me, <laughs> but we've been having a night. We've had a nice week. Uh, do, do you think the listeners would be interested to know how our, our Sunday nights have changed? Yeah, I think we, we really haven't talked in detail. So Michael and I have both, you know, been senior writers at Sports Illustrated since the mid nineties, uh, roughly. And four years ago, five years ago, our parent company time Inc bought golf magazine and our, shared website became golf.com and we would we would float between all the different platforms to use the vernacular um obviously over time more energy was devoted to the digital but you know writing for the magazine was still a big focus of our of our weeks at the majors and then um 
few, well, the process started last year, but it was consummated just a few months ago where Time Inc. divested Golf Magazine and Golf.com. And we kind of looked around and I think came to the realization that it was going to be a better fit to go with the golf properties. And so we now are not in the employ of Sports Illustrated anymore, which I'm sure some people aren't even aware of. And we're full time with, with Golf Magazine and Golf.com. And so this will be the first time, you know, since the 90s, we haven't one of us hasn't hasn't written a game story for for SI. And weirdly, there's not even a Sports Illustrated magazine next week. That would be the first time. In, right. Well, the magazine was founded in 54 and here we are in 2018. Right. Uh, yeah, that's never happened before. Yeah. So Sports Illustrated decided to go biweekly. That took effect this year. Just the, the publishing schedule. There's no Sports Illustrated coming out of Masters, which is quite sad, actually. But um, so I guess we wouldn't have been doing we wouldn't have been writing for SI either way. But yeah. So well, I'm grateful to the, you know, to the listeners who are readers, which I know there are many. I'm really, truly grateful to them because it, we don't care where you read us. We're just glad you're still reading. Agreed. I mean, people ask me what I do for a living, and I say I give people stuff to read whilst on the throne. I mean, that's what we do. That is our, that is our role. And uh, as long as they're reading it on their tablet, their phone, or their laptop, that's fine. Yes. But, um, All right. Now, let's go back to the Masters here, Alan. What is the famous Mark Kalkovecchia quote? I think we've already trotted out. We trotted out every year, and I'm sure we've trotted out at some point this year. What is what is the famous Mark Kalkovecchia quote? Speaking of guys who could have won and didn't win, yeah, yeah, Mark Kalkovecchia sure. on that list. Well, I mean, Davis Love. I mean, it's a long list. It is a long list. Um, David Duvall. He had his yep. chances. Curtis Strange. Curtis, I mean, Padraig Harrington. As mm. good as he chips it and putts it. Yep. I mean, when he was the best, you know, top of the world. Yep. Uh, but do you remember the famous Mark Kalk quote about uh, about the Masters? It's like you're happy when it starts. You're happy when it ends. Can't uh, can't wait to get there. Can't wait to leave. I know. So, but I feel actually a little less right now than I than I than I typically do. Maybe because we're so worn out by Monday morning when we pull all nighters to write for sports writer sports illustrated stories. But yeah. let me ask you this, Alan: You're a tour player. You've just been anointed a tour player. You're an elite tour player. You can. You're only going to win one of the four majors in your career. Which one do you want it to be? I, I, you have to say the Masters just because the, the past champions d- tradition, the jacket. You know, it's going back to the same place. And pe- for people who haven't been here, the pageantry of Masters Week. I mean, there are parties and dinners and gatherings set for seven nights straight. The, and it's really the entire golf world congregates here. And so whether it's, you know, the, the people who run the ruling bodies, whether it's past champions, um, it's editors who never leave New York. They come this one week. It's the agents, the, the business side of the sport. I mean, everybody's here. It just doesn't exist like that at the other majors. There's just something special about Masters Week as a communal event for the entire golf world. And to be on the inside and to get to wear the jacket that, you know, is so coveted. Um, I think, I think I like the U S open more as a tournament. And I think it's, it's, um, there's something special about being the national champion and, you know, the long history of the open It's 40 years older than the masters and all that. But, uh, I, I just think if you have to pick almost anyone would take the masters, but what, what's your, would you go British? Well, I would like to say British poet of the O Linksland, but I would. Uh, it's the Masters. Yeah, it's the most charming. It's the clubbiest. Yeah, uh, clubby's a good word. Yeah, uh, 
and I think and I think Rory would say the same, and uh, that's why I think he's struggling here. You know, I think. Well, let's talk about Tiger and Phil. I mean, you know, why did they struggle? You know, it's it's like a lot of things in life. The things you want too much, it's fine to want something and yeah. to work towards something. But there is a fine line between wanting and wanting too much. Well, Phil played beautifully on Thursday and then absolutely blew up on Friday. And talking to him afterwards, it reminded me of Wingfoot. He had the gl- he glassy eyes. His voice was thick. He had like the, the faraway look in his eyes. And he was absolutely gutted. And his, his wife, Amy, was standing nearby. And I wandered over to her. And she's like, I think he's in shock. <laughs> like, it was just like, it was like a clinical diagnosis. I mean, he looked like he'd straggled in from a, a war zone. See, it was that's just really weird because here you have one of the most sophisticated golfing people in the history of the game. And it's like he's trying to win the tournament on a Friday. That's insane. Well, that's true. But it's like, you know, you're just some, trying to position, he got, he position, got, position. He's got master's fever, baby. I mean, it happens. It takes right. over your brain. But, I mean, that would sort of get to my theory of wanting it yeah, too no, much. No, I know. And Phil, and because Phil, you know, is pushing 48, he's, you know, he said, I know that. I came in here playing so well. It was such a great opportunity. I put so much pressure on myself. Yeah, um, that was interesting. It was interesting. It was, inter- very, it was very a good honest. insight. And, um, you know, he knows he's not going to have that many more chances. And this is the best he's been playing since probably coming into the Masters since 2013. So, yeah. it, you know, time marches on. Time marches on. But honest to God, I know this will sound Pollyannish. I really think that like like Fred, but more so than Fred, because he puts better, far better than, uh, than, than, than Fred ever did probably. I think he was going to have chances into his mid fifties. The problem is, to me is that so okay, Augusta does not have super penal rough like a U.S. Open, or it's not as narrow as a British Open, and a lot of PGA setups are quite penal. It, it it's more forgiving off the tee, but the flip side is it demands so many drivers, and so for Phil to have to hit forty or forty four or forty eight drivers in a week doesn't suit him that well. You know, when he goes to Shinnecock or. Or maybe when he goes to Pebble Beach next year for the U.S. Open or any of the British Open courses, he could probably in, in a week hit 24 drivers, 20 drivers, you know. Yeah. And he, that club just it's it's the weakest club in his bag. And, you know, that's interesting. When you view and, it that way, uh, Bubba, with his two majors, he, he might be in a better position to hit contend for a long time because he's got a big slice swing, which, of course, is, you know, the equivalent of being a, a drawer travels, for, yeah. for right hand. And um as long as he can stay tall and limber like he is, he should be able to maintain that driving ability for a long, long time. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's more to it than that. But I mean, that was why I didn't think Tiger was going to contend this week. Everyone got swept up in Tiger fever, but the driver's killing no him right now. And you have to hit a lot of drivers here. Yeah. And he doesn't he do proved it. he had no confidence in the driver with his lack of use of it in the Tampa tournament, Bay Hill tournament, and the Honda tournament. Then it came And here. on the first tee on Thursday. Yep. I mean, no one hits yep. three wood on number one. No. And then you get to you get to thirteen. No one hits three wood there. It's no. like those, that was capitulation. It was yeah. it was it was fear. And yeah. you can't you can't have a liability like that when you're competing against guys who are who are playing at their best. Well, what were your impressions of Tiger on, on and off the course this week? He, um, you know, he he handled himself well. I thought that he made. His comments made sense, you know. He and his, he was trying to reduce expectations, but everyone was losing their minds around him. I thought that was that showed some insight. Like he knows he's not quite there. He knows he's not there. Um, I completely agree. I mean, just for starters, his answers to questions are simpler, and you can understand them. 
There's no the mumbo jumbo about his swing theory and all that nuttiness from the last few years. Now I realize he had a lot going on and he was hiding a lot, uh, and now he's not. But like you know, when guys are offering excuses, was a flyer? No, it was a crap swing. Uh, did the wind hit it? No, it was a crap swing. You know, <laughs> yeah. I was surprised. No, it was a crap swing six times this week. Right. It's so refreshing. I mean, it's like right cool. And also, you know, Tiger, even when he was playing terribly post scandal, he would still fall back on the script. You know, I'm here to win. I don't. I don't play. If, I don't just show up at a tournament. I show up to win. You know, it was like, really, dude, you got the chip yips. You're not going to win. Um, you hit six inches behind the ball on the first tee at the old course. You're not going to win. But he still couldn't deviate from the script. And now he's being a little more real. Like it's, I'm, I'm not quite there. I'm still a lot to work out. Baby steps and. That's healthy. He was so detached from reality for a while. And, and let's remember, you know, here it is, Alan. It's Sunday night. It was only five days ago, Wednesday getting into Thursday morning, that this was the most anticipated master, certainly of the 22 or so that I've ever attended, if you can gauge such a thing. But, you know, you can on a, on a personal level. Yeah. You know, or, you know, in an unscientific way, you, you can gauge it. The and it was all rooted in two words, Tiger's back. It wasn't really true. He wasn't really back. He, he didn't do anything in that Florida swing to suggest he was really back, except for that he was actually he actually played three tournaments pain-free and semi-contended. He didn't, you know, you could say maybe at the, well, definitely at the Valspar tournament he contended. Um, and yet, now here we are five days later, and are we going to forget about everything that all the excitement that led up to this Tiger tournament, to this to this Masters, regarding Tiger now looking to the U.S. Open and some other events in between? Is Tiger still foremost in our minds like it was coming into this tournament? Where, where do we? Where does I, no, it stand? This, this took a lot of air out of the balloon in a healthy way, though. I mean, it wasn't. It was. We were excited not just because Tiger was back. We were excited because Phil was back, and we were excited because so many of the great young players were peaking, and. That came true. I mean, look at the leaderboard. We had, you couldn't ask for a better Sunday dogfight than Jordan, Ricky, Rory, and Patrick Reed, who, you know, you want him to be there because he's spicy. Maybe you don't want him to win, but you want him to be there. Uh, so at least we got the, the young guys came through. They, play, they played some spectacular golf. John Rahm made a, a nice run. Um, you know, Tommy Fleetwood was up there. I mean, a lot of these young guys. They, they, they brought it. And so that, to yeah. me, is, is significant. It really sets up the rest of this year. It's almost impossible to imagine Tiger winning any of the remaining majors this year. It just now, not, how is he going to suddenly figure out the driver? Wow, Shinnecock is going to be hard. I mean, I could see him at Carnoustie because it, it's a short course and it's a position course. And he's, you know, if he can hit a lot of two irons and little st- three wood stingers i think you know his iron plays really is it wasn't good this week but it was good in florida and his putting's been good but not great and his, his wedge game has been solid so i don't the, know alan you can lose balls in the gorse at carnoustie like nobody's oh, business no, it's, it's such I mean, an unforgiving course when you do true. go off the fairway it's such a hard golf course oh i know but at least he doesn't have as many drivers now that that helps but yeah um but that, that's the one i think is his best shot for sure yeah um it's got to be to play. I mean, he's going to have to really, di- you know, as he says, you can't practice like you used to practice. No one is as mentally 
determined at 42 as yours. He's got two kids and he's interested in just other things, course architecture, his restaurant. It's gonna, he's going to have to really, really dig deep here. And it, it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, look, you and I spent a lot of our careers devoted to trying to figure out the Tiger Woods. It'll be very interesting to see whether he can dig deep here and become a better golfer than he is right now. I don't know that he can. But, yeah. I, but I admire, I really mean this, I admire how he is presenting himself to the public right now. I, I think, it, I do think it's he's had He's handled himself with a lot of class and a lot of dignity. And those things were not always part of who he was in the past. And yep. I, you know, he's never going to be the golfer he was. We all know that. We, we would love a victory lap. You, you know, one more moment in the sun would be wonderful. But he also, part of... Tiger's re, you know reinvention is he wants to be a beloved elder statesman. You know he always venerated Jack and Arnie. He wants to be treated that way. It was not, it was not going to happen with the old Tiger because he was a dick. Right. But he's really he's become a different person. And I don't think he can become beloved because I just don't. You've got to give. But he's starting to. to. I'm, I mean, my point is now he has a long way to go. But he's got. Yeah. He's, he's he's got a lot of fences to mend, but. You just saw there was an ease with this week, which the way he handled himself. And if you can do that, yeah, every tournament, every week, then um, like he'll establish a lot of goodwill. He would hate the comparison, but a little bit like Watson did. You know, yeah. Watson, Watson was tough, and Watson is tough, but Watson relaxed over the years, became more approachable, and developed a better rapport with fans. But I just want to touch on Fred Couples, a guy you know well, and you've written about. I was aware he's having. No one knows Fred well. Well, yeah, he's 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 an enigma wrapped in a riddle. But he's a pleasure to watch him make a swing. That's for sure. You know, even with the back brace on, he still makes one of the coolest swings you've ever seen. I did. So I talked to him after the round. I I mean, I knew he's having back problems this week, but I didn't I didn't really delve into it. So he didn't hit one practice putt all week. It hurt him. It hurt him to to putt. So he couldn't. Not one practice putt. Not one practice chip. When he warmed up, he only hit woods. He wouldn't even hit irons. He went and he, he went out and shot three over. He he came off on Sunday saying, "I feel like I won the golf tournament because what he, he shot did, three over this week." Yeah, that's with, unbelievable. Without a single practice putt. Did he beat Phil? Oh yeah, Phil Tiger. Yes. Who, oh no, who, no Tiger played well today. I don't think he beat Tiger. Who beat? How about Langer? Where did he finish? He must have beaten Bernhard. They played together today. How's that for a classy pairing? It's incredible. I mean, it's really. Do you know how long this course is for Bernhard Langer? It's nine thousand yards long. It's the equivalent of nine thousand yards. He hit three with an eighteen. Did he really? <laughs> yeah. Well, so did Jordan Spieth. <laughs> yeah, good point. I mean, uh, wow. Yeah, it's cool. It was cool. I mean, and I, it's like, it's like, Freddie, why did you even come? He's like, I didn't want to miss it. That's neat. You know, he doesn't need world ranking points. He, he yeah. doesn't need the money, presumably. But it's just he didn't want to think about Fred as a possible Ryder Cup captain. Do you think that ship is totally sailed? Or do you think it's possible? Well, it's hard to say with the politics, which is obviously a big part of it. I think that um, he was beloved as a President's Cup captain and very successful. But any of us could coach, you know, the the U.S. team to victory in the President's Cup. I think that. Um, Part of Fred doesn't want the hassle because the Ryder Cup is just a, a bigger animal and right. there's more promotional responsibilities. So I'm not sure how much he really wants it, even though right. he's kind of said he he would be interested. But I, I don't know who the U.S. captains are going forward in what sequence. I mean, obviously Tiger will do it when asked, but he, he he's not ready to give up playing just yet. Now, right. if there's a downturn in his game, maybe he's the next one. Obviously, Phil's going to be a captain right. when he wants to, but... Um, 
Who are the other candidates? Zach Johnson? I mean, doesn't exactly blow my skirt up, although I'm yeah. sure he'd be very well organized and do a good, solid job. But yep. he's kind of like, like Corey Pavin as a captain. And he'll have spare sunglasses if you need him. Yeah, indeed he will. I mean, who are the other American possibilities? It, um, there's, you know, there's there's not like it's not stacked up the way you might think. Um, you know, Payne Stewart would have been a Ryder Cup captain. He didn't get the chance. Um, right. Azinger, it's one and done. You're not going to bring him back. But, right. um, you know, that generation, they're, they're too old and out of touch. I, I just don't know who, how, how you sequence it. So the, the answer is maybe Freddie, if Tiger and Phil both say not yet, maybe they bring Freddie in in two years just because he's, yeah. he's approaching the now or never phase. But There's probably a lot to be said, although I've never heard anyone say this for, for the American Ryder Cup team, for giving guys two shots at it. Uh, yeah, why not? I mean, it's it's a you weird learn a lot that first time, and then you can build which, on which it the Davis applied. Time. And Davis really did. That was the European model, you know. They those guys that was jacking it five times or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's a weird thing. Do you want to win the Ryder Cup, or do you want to like hand out the captaincy as some sort of favor or, or well, thank you? Well, I think you. we know the answer. If you want to win, their then whole you, thing is win right then, now. Then you should probably recycle the captains more. Yeah. I mean, why not? Yeah. Now, maybe, maybe they don't want to do it. It's a big time commitment, and um, they've shown the President's Cup it works well when Jay Haas has made repeated trips, and Jack, yeah, uh, Norman has. Um, well, interesting. Your, your eyelids are looking a little heavy, Michael. <laughs> well, it's been a long week, it's but been it's, a long uh, week. it's been a good week. Uh, All right, we better wrap this up because I'm uh, getting tired too. Okay. Um, so, any parting thoughts? Do we have anything we didn't chew on here? Well, it's a it's a promises to be a great U.S. Open in Shinnecock Hills, uh, and um, I don't know. I mean, I'm usually not the first to say this, but I think golf is in a good place when you think about these three guys all in their twenties, all with very different Fowler and uh, Jordan and uh, and uh, Patrick Reed, just three totally different styles of golf, three totally different personalities. All young guys in the twenties that should be around. It's uh, it's it is exciting. We we didn't even really touch on Fowler, but you got to give him his due. I mean, a do or a die putt on the semi second hole of the Masters, and he he he, he made it when Jordan well, could. and not just the putt, the drive down the middle and well, the iron smacked down, uh, staked it. I mean, they were beautiful. No. Two of the most beautiful shots I saw all week back to back. No, he and played. He, he it, played it was a, it was fabulous, really, really uh, clean round of golf. So that's exciting because we've been waiting for Ricky to make that leap. I mean. Yeah. He's, I mean, I don't know anything about the golf swing, really, but I don't know. They can. He's so laid off. He's so flat and so laid off. So is Sergio. Yeah. <laughs> Are those two, I mean, those. Yeah, they they're, they're not great. They're not textbook, but it's it's fun to watch. Yeah, so. it is. He swings beautifully. It is fun to watch. All right. We need, we need to collect our check. Yeah. We need to leave a big tip because we took over this table for like yep. an hour. <laughs> Paying cash money. Cash yes, money. Cash money. Waffle House. They don't need the credit Straight card. Straight cash, here. homie. So. Michael, thank you for doing this. You're okay. a trooper. Thank you for the listeners for putting up with the jukebox, the the clearing of the dishes, haranguing of the manager who wanted to kick us out. Uh, this is Alan Shipnuck and Michael Bamberger signing off from Washington Road Waffle House. Thanks for listening. We'll come back to you again soon for another podcast. That's it. Bye-bye.